of those folks who make it possible for people who are mediocre singers on their best day to stand and sing and praise the Lord on the Lord's day. I, I really appreciate the work you all do. It's a blessing. Um, over the last three years, uh, we've faced some significant challenges, right? Um, chief amongst those was a challenge of trust. Whose voice could we trust? When, when COVID swept across the land and we're being told all kinds of things by all kinds of people, often the messages were contradictory and we had to decide. Which, which political voice would I trust? Which doctor's voice do I trust? Which scientist's voice do I trust? You know, for some people that seemed easy. They just picked a favorite media outlet and listened to the voices on that outlet. For others, it was harder. They weren't just choosing between media outlets. They were choosing between media outlets and social media posts and just about everything else in the world. And, and I don't know where you all were all on, on that, but I was like having a 60s game show experience asking, will the real COVID expert please stand up? I'll leave you to your own opinion as to whether one ever did. But you know what's sadder? Than people looking for an expert on diseases and not finding one? What's sadder is when the Word of God speaks as the truly expert word on our sin sickness and we ignore it. When the expert actually speaks and nobody listens. Like Israel did in the book of Amos. We're going to be in Amos chapter 7 and 8 this morning, but first we need to remind ourselves of just who Amos is. Amos is an Old Testament prophet of God. It, it, the phrase, thus says the Lord, shows up 280 times in the Old Testament. About 230 of those 280, thus saith the Lord's, show up in the books of the prophets. It's because the prophets, like Amos, are are Men of the Word. Amos is a man of the Word. The Word of God. So when we read the words of Amos in this book, we are reading the words of God. Specifically, the words of God for Israel, the northern kingdom that had split off from Judah in the south and had lived wickedly. And that means that our study of the book of Amos is ultimately a study about how people receive and react to the Word of God. Because they had received the Word of God. The question is, what, what were they going to do with the Word of God? And, and Amos talks about that a lot. And having been through six chapters of Amos already, we know that the Word of God that Amos brought to the people of Israel was a word of judgment. They'd been, they'd been found out. Their, their worship had been shown to be phony worship. They weren't really worshiping, they were just going through the motions and doing it a lot, hoping that would pay off, but, but the reality was that as soon as they left that, they went out and they practiced injustice. The rich mistreated the poor, everybody did what they had, could to, to get ahead on their own and they didn't care about anybody else. They didn't practice righteousness, they didn't love their neighbor, and, and, and God sends Amos to say, God has seen what's going on and you've been found guilty. And Israel was sentenced to exile. And exile is huge. 
Exile is saying, you're the, you, were, you were the people of God given the blessing of the land of God where you would dwell in the presence of God, and I'm taking you out of there so that you know you are not that people anymore. That's what exile meant. Chapters 7 and 8, the chapters we're going to look at this morning, they focus on the Word of God and how it works in this judgment. Where does the Word of God fit in the judgment that Amos is proclaiming on Israel? Now, we are not Old Testament Israel, so we can't read these words exactly as, as, as words to us in that context. But these, these two chapters, I believe, Amos 7 and 8, should mean a lot to us. Because God is still a God of His Word. In fact, we don't have just a little of His Word. We have all of His Word. We have a completed Word of God. And so we need to see how the Word works when God finds His people involved in sin. How does the Word of God work coming to His people when His people are involved in sin? Because the reality is we still sin. So knowing how the Word of God comes to God's people when they're in sin matters. Now I'm going to ask if you're able to stand in honor of God's Word. And I'll be reading Amos 7 and 8. So it's a little longer, so if you have trouble standing, it's okay to sit. But I'm going to ask if you can, you stand. So starting in Amos 7, 1. This is what the Lord God showed me. Behold, He was forming locusts when the latter growth was just beginning to sprout. And behold, it was the latter growth after the king's mowings. When they had finished eating the grass of the land, I said, O Lord God, please forgive. How can Jacob stand? He is so small. The Lord relented concerning this. It shall not be, said the Lord. This is what the Lord God showed me. Behold, the Lord God was calling for a judgment by fire, and it devoured the great deep and was eating up the land. Then I said, O Lord God, please cease. How can Jacob stand? He is so small. The Lord relented concerning this. This also shall not be, said the Lord God. This is what he showed me. Behold, the Lord was standing beside a wall built with a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a plumb line. Then the Lord said, Behold, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will never again pass by them. The high places of Isaac shall be made desolate. The sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste. And I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to Jeroboam, the king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear his words. For thus Amos has said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword and Israel must go into exile away from his land. And Amaziah said to Amos, O seer, go, flee away to the land of Judah, and eat bread there, and prophesy there, but never again prophesy at Bethel, for it is the king's sanctuary, and it is a temple of the kingdom. Then Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet nor a prophet's son, but I was a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore figs. But the Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go, prophesy to my people Israel. Now therefore hear the word of the Lord. You say, Do not prophesy against Israel, and do not preach against the house of Isaac. Therefore thus says the Lord, Your wife shall be a prostitute in the city, 
And your sons and your daughters shall fall by the sword, and your land shall be divided up with the measuring line, and you yourself shall die in an unclean land, and Israel shall surely go into exile away from its land. This is what the Lord God showed me. Behold, a basket of summer fruit. And he said, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a basket of summer fruit. Then the Lord said to me, The end has come upon my people Israel. I will never again pass by them. The songs of the temple shall become wailings in that day, declares the Lord God. So many dead bodies, they are thrown everywhere. Silence! Hear this, you who trample on the needy and bring the poor of the land to an end, saying, When will the new moon be over that we may sell grain, and the Sabbath that we may offer wheat for sale, that we may make the ephah small and the shekel great, and deal deceitfully with false balances, that we may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals and sell the chaff of the wheat? The Lord is sworn by the pride of Jacob, Surely I will never forget any of their deeds. Shall not the land tremble on this account and everyone mourn who dwells in it and all of it rise like the Nile and be tossed about and sink again like the Nile of Egypt? On that day, declares the Lord God, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. I will turn your feasts into mourning and your songs into lamentation. I will bring sackcloth on every waist and baldness on every head. I will make it like the morning for an only sun, and the end of it like a bitter day. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea, from north to east, and shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. In that day, the lovely virgins and the young men shall faint for thirst. Those who swear by the guilt of Samaria and say, As your God lives, O Dan, and as the way of Beersheba lives, they shall fall and never rise again. Father, this is your word. We ask that you would use your word in us today, that you would make its meaning clear, and that you would write it also on our hearts, that believing your word, we would respond to it in a way that pleases you and in a way that is good for us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, it's a long section, but I think it's one real message. I think it's a picture that Amos is painting, and it gives us a, a glimpse of the relationship between the man of the Word and the judgment of God. It's a relationship between the man of the Word and a judgment of God. And what we're going to do is we're going to trace that relationship along three steps. And in the first step, what we see is the man of the word intercede for those under judgment, and God relents from the judgment. So God pronounces judgment, the man of the word steps in and says, God, please no, and, he, and God relents. I mean, chapter 7 starts with Amos talking about a couple of visions that he's seen. Actually, there's four visions that he sees. And sandwiched between the third and fourth, there's that whole thing with Amaziah, the priest of Bethel. But we're going to look first at these first two visions in verses 1 through 3, where we have the, the vision of the forming locusts when, when the growth is about to sprout and the king's mowings are done and, and the locusts are going to come eat. That's the judgment. And Amos steps in and says, God, please forgive. Israel's too small, won't be able to stand up under it. And God says, okay, it shall not be. 
And, and so that, that, that's the first vision. It's a locust invasion. You know, in the Bible, locusts often show up as the judgment of God. They, they would have locust plagues where the locusts would come in and they would just devour a crop. Um, there's a plague of locusts in Egypt, right? When, when God's bringing his people out of Egypt. And the locust plague is a huge story in the book of Joel. It's, it's one of the main parts of the book of Joel. And here Amos is hearing God say, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to bring in this locust plague and it's going to devour the crops. And, and he describes when it's going to happen. It's going to happen when the crop is its most vulnerable. When it's just right for picking, after the king took his part, Kings always charge taxes. That's what we're looking at there. After the king took his part, so the part that's left is the part that Israel's going to need to live on. Locusts are going to come devour it. No harvest for the people. Amos begs God. God, don't do that. That would completely wipe out Israel. God, please don't do it. And God relents. So no locust plague. And then we move to verses 4 through 6. And this time it's going to be a fire. A fire that would devour. Now, this, this may be a, a true fire, or it might be the symbolic fire of an all-consuming drought, because that language is often used in the Old Testament, that a, that a fire for a drought that would cause the, the crops to die and the land would become desert-like. But again, Amos says, God, please don't do it. If you do this, it will, it will take little old Israel and it will just destroy her, so please don't do it. And it says... God relents, and this time he says, this also shall not be. Now, we need to talk about what that means, don't we? God relents. God relents. Does the unchanging God change his mind? That would be a big deal. Can the one who's omniscient and knows everything past and future and present, knows everything, who's omniscient and omnipotent so he can do anything, can he actually change his mind? Well, this is a matter of perspective is what we're looking at here. Our perspective is limited. God's is not. From God's perspective, 1 Samuel 15, 29 is right when it says, the Lord does not lie or repent. God is the one who wrote history, right? He's already written it. Otherwise, the book of Revelation can't be in your Bible if God didn't already write it. So he's already written it. He knows what he wrote. He can't make a mistake in the writing of it. He certainly doesn't jump into the middle of it and suddenly, oh, oops, because he's already written it, right? There's no tomorrow oops. God doesn't change his mind from God's perspective. But from our perspective, sometimes it looks like God changes his mind. When God spoke to Israel about terrible bugs and fires, God knew where this was going to go. God knew Amos would come in and say, please don't do it, God. And God knew that God would then not do it. That was the script God had written. So God didn't change his mind. That was actually what God had planned all along. But from our perspective, from Amos's perspective, it looks like God changed his mind. So let's be very clear. The unchanging God does not change. But from our perspective here, it looks like he does because the man of the word steps in and intercedes. And that's what God wants us to see, is that the man of the word intercedes for the people. And Amos was a, a man of God in a foreign land, right? Sent up to the northern kingdom, sent by God to pronounce judgment. But when the judgment sounds like more than the people of bear, 
the heart of the man of God breaks. The heart of the man of the word breaks. And he says, Lord, please don't do it. And God shows mercy. Judgment will not come by locusts and it will not come by fire. The man of the word intercedes for those under judgment and God relents from the judgment. Now that's happened before in the Old Testament, hasn't it? You remember Moses in Exodus 32? God announced his intention. I'm going to wipe out Israel and I'm just going to start off with you, Moses. I'm going to re reboot this whole thing. It's like he called the IT department. I'm going to reboot this whole thing with you, Moses. And Moses interceded. And God relented. And God not only didn't wipe out Israel, God went with His people. You know, it seems that this is a characteristic of a man of the Word. They are faithful to speak the truth to those in sin and say, sin brings judgment. They are faithful to do that. But they are also ready to go before God and say, God, please have mercy. You see, the, the, the man of the word is also a man who has a heart for the people. Friends, every believer needs to hear this message because every believer and follower of Jesus Christ today is called to be a man or woman of the word. You have the Word of God. You have the Bible. And you are called to be a person of the Word. So you are called to go, to go to those in sin and say, sin is sin, and sin will bring judgment. There are consequences to your sin. We are to remind people of the surety of judgment. But we are also to do it as those who love their neighbors and would be willing to go to their knees and beg that God show mercy. Beg God to show mercy and hold back his wrath. Maybe it sounds something like this. God, my, my friend is wicked. I know he's in rebellion against you. I know he deserves eternal suffering from hell. But God, Jesus died for sinners. So would you please have mercy on my friend? I, I believe that Amos is here as a picture for us of, of what God wants the heart to be of his people who have the word and are called to say sin is sin and sin brings judgment, they're also to be a people with a heart who go to their knees and say, God, in your judgment, please show mercy. Please show mercy. So first, the man of the word intercedes for those under judgment, and God relents from the judgment. But then, the word is rejected again, and the man of word intercedes no more. The word is rejected again, and the man of the word intercedes no more. Debbie's looking at me funny. Nope, that's it. <laughs> so when we get to the third vision, something different happens. This time the vision is, is, is not a judgment, but it's a vision of a standard. This one isn't a vision of judgment, but of a standard, a plumb line. If you look at verses 7 and 8, it says, God stand beside a wall built with a plumb line. It says, well, you see, see a plumb line. And God says, I'm setting this plumb line next to Israel. And I'm setting a standard. See, a plumb line's that, that weight hanging from a string that lets you see what straight up and down looks like. It's not a, if something isn't in line with the plumb line, it's crooked. Right? 
If it's not in line with the plumb line, it's off standard. And that's why God continues in verses 8 and 9 and says, I'm setting that plumb line in the middle of Israel and I'm never going to pass by again without seeing that the plumb line's here and Israel's over here, which means Israel's crooked. Seriously bent. And the standard paints too clear a picture for there to be anything but judgment. You know, he said, I'm not going to do the locusts, I'm not going to do the fire, but I put my standard here and they just keep going against it. Israel is too far gone. And this time Amos does not plead for mercy. And starting in verse 10, what we have is a picture of how Israel stands bent compared to the plumb line. The, the, this is the evidence that they're out of line with the plumb line. Amos has been preaching in Bethel against the religion of Bethel. So here comes a priest from Bethel to the king and says, well, you know what he's going to do, right? He's going to tattle on Amos. He accuses Amos of conspiracy. Amos is bringing false news. He tells the king that Amos has been saying, Jeroboam shall die by the sword and Israel must go into exile. Which, hey, that's what Amos had been saying. Then in verses 12 and 13, the wicked priest turns to Amos and says, you get out of town. You go home, you prophesy in Judah, but you get out of here because this is our kingdom. This is our place. Leave Israel alone. And Amos replies to him and says, look, I was in Judah. I was minding my own business. I was working on the farm. And God picked me up and shoved me up here to Israel to bring his word to the people of Israel. And I'm going to do my job. And starting in verse 16, Amos speaks the word of the Lord to Amaziah. Essentially, he says, you told me to quit prophesying to Israel. Well, here's what God says. Verse 17, your wife will be a prostitute in the city. Your sons and your daughters shall file by the sword. Your land shall be divided up with a measuring line, and you yourself shall die in an unclean land, and Israel shall surely go into exile away from its land. The plumb line was right about Israel. Israel was broken, way off standard. The evidence is found in its priests. I mean, this is supposed to be the man of God ministering the truth of God, and he's fighting against the Word of God. And God is going to judge Amaziah. The armies will come in, his wife will be like a prostitute, his whole family will die, and all of Israel will be judged. All of Israel will be judged. And then chapter 8 begins with another vision. It's one focused on the, the judgment. This time it begins with a vision of, of summer fruit. What that means is very ripe fruit. Ripe fruit. The picture's this. Like an apple that's ripe for the eating, Israel is ripe for judgment. Verse 3 describes the song they're going to sing in Israel on the day that God brings this judgment. So many dead bodies, they are thrown everywhere. Silence. This will be the song, the wailing in Israel. The first two visions, 
that we saw described specific judgments that God would bring. And, and Amos said, God, please don't. And so God held back on the judgment. The third vision was that there is a standard and Israel is just way off standard. And now this fourth vision comes and it reveals that Israel is to become a land of wailing and death and silence. That, that's what that last word ends with in that, that wailing. It ends with the word silence. Amos is to make no appeal for mercy at the end of this vision. The prophet himself is silent. There is nothing more to say. The people have nothing to say. They have no argument to say, but God, we're good. They, they have, there's nothing. It's time for silence. The word has utterly condemned Israel. The word was rejected and the man, man of the word intercedes no more. Now friends, we need to intercede. We need to pray that God will have mercy on the wicked. I mean, we believe Jesus died to save sinners. So that's the way mercy comes. It only comes through the power of the gospel to those who believe and are saved. But we need to pray that that will happen, that God will have mercy. But we also need to accept this. There will come a time when intercession matters no more. There will be a day of judgment. The book of Hebrews makes it clear. It says, just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after this comes the judgment. There will be a day when, when like in Noah's ark, the door was shut. There will be that day of judgment, and at that time, there will be no use of intercession. If nothing else, that tells us there is nothing to be gained in praying for the dead. If they didn't settle accounts before they meet their maker, their accounts are settled. So we need to understand this, that though we are called to be a people with a heart for others who, who plead for mercy, there will be a day when the pleas for mercy don't matter, when the accounts are settled and it's time for silence and accepting the judgment of God. So first, the, the man of the word intercedes and God relents, but then the word sets a standard. It's rejected again and the man stops his intercession. But then finally, we see that the word pronounces the sentence and the sentence is this, no more word. No more word. God describes uh, several judgments here, starting in chapter 8, verse 4. Amos pleads for God to relent. God does early, but then God sets the standard and they're judged. And this condemnation we know includes exile, but starting here at verse 4, we see the condemnation includes a lot more than that. Amos pronounces the sentence, Israel refused the word of the Lord. Well, now they're going to learn just how terrible life is without the word of the Lord. First in verses 4 to 6, Amos describes Israel as a people who long for their time with the Lord to be over so they can get back to doing what they think really matters, making money by cheating poor people. I mean, he's describing them like they're in a big church service 
and they're just looking at their watches saying, man, I can't wait for church to get over because i got to get out there and make some money. There, there, there are some easy marks out there that I can take advantage of, so let's get this worship time over. That's the picture in, in verses 4 through 6. When will it be over? When will it be over so we can sell grain so that we can trade in our ephah of grain and make it small and get the shekel big and get a lot of money for it? See, there's the dual sin of Israel again, right? Their religion is phony and they love injustice. It's the dual sin of Israel. And then in verses 7 to 8, we read again of God's sentence on the unjust, phony worshipers. Once again, he swears by himself. Remember, we looked at that before. If God swears by himself, this is a sure thing. He's putting his name on the line on this. He will not forget their wicked deeds. The land will tremble as he judges them. The people will weep. And and he says this thing about the Nile River, like the Nile River follows a flood cycle. And it, it, it does. It, it floods, they plant, then it goes away. He says, like that, there will be a predictable flood of suffering, is what he's saying. It will be a predictable flood of suffering. And then in verse 9, he says, this is coming on the day of the Lord. Remember, earlier we had seen that uh, about the day of the Lord in chapter 5, that they were really, oh, we can't wait for the day of the Lord when the Lord comes to be with us as people. And, and Amos had told him, you don't want the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is going to be a day of judgment on you. Well, this is about the day of the Lord. Verse 9 says, on that day. Verse 11 says, the days are coming. Verse 13, in that day. This is talking about the day of the Lord. Verses 9 and 10, the day of the Lord will be a bitter day of mourning and sackcloth as darkness and death cover the land. That just sounds like what Amos said back in chapter 5. You, you think it's all going to be light and joy and happiness? No, it's going to be darkness and death over the land. Verses 11 and 12, the day of the Lord will be a day of famine, but it won't be a day of empty stomachs. It will be a day of empty souls. God is going to withhold His Word. I mean, they, they, I just don't think there are many words that are sadder than the words of these verses. I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea, and from north to east. They shall run to and fro and seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. You know, sometimes in the those rather unfortunate arguments we have in our life, you get to that point in the argument where I'm just not going to talk to you. I'm done. It's a bad day when the Lord says that. I've got no more words for you. And then verse 13 and 14 says this, thirst for the word of God will bring low even the best of Israel. Her healthy young women and men will be brought low. Everyone who has sought help in the phony religion of Israel will fall and they will never rise again. This is the saddest of all judgments pronounced by the prophets. God is done with Israel. He's not only going to take her to exile, He will never speak to her again. No more word from God. The man of the word pronounces that sentence. 
No more word from God. I believe this is terrifying. There can come a day, I believe this is teaching us, there can come a day in the life of a man, much as there came in the national life of Israel, where the heart is so hard that God will speak to them no more. We don't know when that day is for other people, by the way. So don't you go around saying that that person is so far gone, I don't think I'm going to take the Word of God to them again. Because you don't know when that day is. But that day can come. When the heart is so hard that God has no more good Word for you. The day will eventually come when the Spirit of God stops using the Word of God to convict of sin and righteousness and judgment, where a man is left to face the consequences of his sin with no hope. So what do we do with that? What, what do we do with that if, if we have friends or we have family members who just stay in rebellion against God? We talk to them about Jesus. We, we invite them to church and they just stay in rebellion against God. What do we do with that? Are they, do we just give up because they're hardened? Well, one thing we do, we pray. We pray to God that their time of hardness has not come yet. We say, God, please don't let them be so hard. Please, God, soften their heart. Don't let the scales on their eyes be so thick that you will not peel them back, God. Please don't let that day have come yet. And then we go with urgency with the Word of God, because that day might be around the corner. I mean, if we believe this is true, that the day will come when, when God quit use, quit, will not use His Word in the life of a person to convict them of sin and righteousness and judgment again, that that day may come, and we don't know if it's come yet, but there's evidence it might be coming, then we've got to have some urgency, don't we? Could we dare dawdle? If they're on the edge of being left to the consequences of their sin? For if God does not speak to their soul, if the Spirit of God does not use the Word of God to draw them to the Son of God, they are doomed. So let us pray that that day has not yet come for them. And then let's be urgent to take the word to them while they still might hear. We have seen the progression of the word of God spoken by the man of the word in days of judgment. It starts off with a picture of, of, of the man of God, the word bringing the word of God to the people of God. They're under judgment. But when he hears the judgment pronounced, he, he asks God to show mercy because he loves people and he should do that. And, and, and God relents from some of those judgments. But then the people who were spared reveal just how wicked and hardened against the word of God they are. And so God pulls back the word. The word no more. Friends, I... I I read this passage and I look at the, the state of the church in our day and, and I, I, I fear a bit. Because this was a word to the people of God. I mean, it says that. 
I fear that the challenges of the last few years have left us cold to the Word of God. Now, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, He's not going to send you to hell. He will keep you. That, that's the promise of the New Testament. It's true. But I think there can come a day when the people of God individually and corporately as a church or churches, that, that if we stay cold to the Word of God, He may just give us over to the world without the Word. Israel was made up of ten of the covenant tribes, the sons of Jacob. They knew the Old Testament stories. They, they had the Word. They had experienced the miracles, but their heart turned cold against the Word of God. And they went off in the way of the fallen world. They put on a show of worship, and during the time of worship, all they could think of was, I want to get back to the world. Their times of worship were something they, they put up with till they could get back to the way of the world. Let me ask you, does the Word of God and the worship of God light a fire in you? Does it light a fire in you? Did, did, was there a passion about gathering with the saints this morning for worship? Was there an excitement that we were going to open this book together again? Is there any fire for the word and worship of God in us? Does it show in the fact that, that worship is something we long for and then worship changes us and so we go out in the world and we practice righteousness and obedience and justice? Do we hear his commission to us and we're so excited about the word and worship that we want everyone to have this? So we go tell them about it? Or is the famine started in us? We sang a song to open our worship this morning. And... Uh, I'm going to read it to you, and then I'm going to spend some time leading us in prayer. I want you to, to hear the words of the, the hymn we opened with, and I want you to consider where you are in your relationship to the Lord. Is, is He your passion? Do you live for Him? Is, is His word and the worship of Him the greatest thing in your life? Or does this need to be your prayer? Send a revival. Stop there. Revival is a very simple word. Re, meaning do it again. Vive, meaning life. God, bring life again. Lord, send a revival, O Christ my Lord. Let it go over the land and sea. Send it according to thy dear word and let it begin in me. Send a revival among thine own. Help us to turn from our sins away. Let us draw near to the Father's throne. Revive us again, we pray. Send a revival to those in sin. Help them, O Jesus, to turn to thee. Let them the new life 
in Thee begin. Oh, give them the victory. Send a revival in every heart. Draw the world nearer, O Lord, to Thee. Let Thy salvation true joy impart and let it begin in me. Lord, send a revival. Lord, send a revival. Lord, send a revival and let it begin in me. As I was as we're in the sermon, I, I, it's, it's kind of uh, the way the Lord works. Um, you know, I'm reading about the possibility of a revival breaking out on all these college campuses, Christian colleges throughout the land, and boy, I pray that's true. I pray that these, these young people are being changed forever by an encounter with the Almighty God. Man, do, do I know? Man, I don't know. Any more than anybody else who writes about it knows. But I pray it's true. But at the same time, I was having a hard time writing a sermon. I was struggling in the Word of God. It just wasn't coming. And, and I thought, Lord, send a revival. And let it begin with me. So what I want to do is I'm going to lead you in a time of prayer, and I'm going to ask you to pray. And you can listen to the words I'm praying, but if you and the Lord need to talk, just shut me out. You can listen to my words and agree with my words, or if you and the Lord need to talk about revival, please do that. And then when we're done, we're going to have our closing hymn. And if you're still praying, don't stop to sing. I mean, people are all excited about what's going on in the college campuses. You know what's going on in those college campuses? Their worship service quit following the schedule. That's it. I mean, that's the big deal. Things got done and they didn't quit. That's the big deal. So if you and the Lord got something to deal with, deal with it this morning. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, God, I, I, I fear that we've just gotten too used to this. That what is awesome has become common in our hearts and our minds. God, I fear that that's happened to me. God, forgive us. For where we have taken you for granted, for where we have thought it a small thing that we have your word completed in, in the Bible and that we have had the word made flesh who has given himself for us. And, and, and we have just taken that for granted as though that was a little thing, but, but our, our life living like the rest of the world was the big thing. That was the thing that, that needed our attention, that needed our focus. Forgive us for, for days when our religion has been fake. For where we've put on a show. Please show mercy, Lord. Lord, forgive us for when, when we've behaved like the world. When we have not obeyed your commands. When we, we have not followed the commission that you've given us to take the 
the good news of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Forgive us, Lord. Don't do it because, because we deserve it, God, because we don't. Do it because Jesus is worthy. And we're trusting Him. We're trusting His work to be the grounds by which You would forgive us this morning. So please forgive us, Lord. And God, revive us. Send a revival. Let it begin in me. Let it begin in us. Thompson Town Baptist Church, God, revive us. Breathe new life into our relationship with You. Give us a passion for Christ and for worship. Give us a hunger for the Word that cannot be filled. Give us a commitment to Your commandments and Your commission that drives us. Revive us, O Lord. Please. And let it begin in me. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Sir, so if you're able...